0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Hey. That's a great welcome. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is George Franco. And I'll tell you what, I love coming to Southside. For those of you who know me, I say this all the time, Southside is such a special place to me. And I usually come about twice a year uh, and hang out with the staff and Pastor Mike. And and, uh, I was scheduled to come in August and my business uh, plans changed, my family plans changed a little bit. And I was like, Oh, no, I can't come. That means I'm gonna be a whole year before I get back to Southside. And uh, Mike reached out in September and said, hey, could you come in October? And I was like, yes. And I put it on my calendar, and I was like, it's like Christmas. It's like coming home for Christmas. I look forward to it so much because I feel like Southside is my home. It's my home away from home. You guys are my family, and it's a privilege for me to be here with you guys today. I also say this every time I come here, but Southside, there's something unique about this church, this group of people, and uh, every time I come, I feel like God's doing something really special here. And I don't know if you can feel it, but I've been to churches all over North America and around the world, and every time I come to Southside, I'm like, there's something going on here. And a lot of that is because of you. Every person that calls Southside Church their home, whether you're watching online or you're sitting in the seat. Um, it's special because you participate and are involved in what God has us doing inside this community and around the world. The other part that I think is a big special part of Southside are the pastors and staff of Southside. And so I've known Pastor Mike for a long time. We've been really good friends, but I've got to know all the staff. I've spent time with every one of them and they're very special. And there's three things I love about your staff. One is they love Jesus. They're very passionate about who Jesus is. Two is they love you guys a ton. They invest and spend time with you every single week. And the third thing is that they love other people, other people that we haven't had the chance to meet yet, but we'll one day meet hopefully soon. And so I don't know if you know this, but October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So if you haven't had a chance to say thanks to your favorite staff member or pastor, let's just take a moment and celebrate and cheer our pastors and staff and let them know how much we appreciate them. That's awesome. That's good. It, that was almost as loud as the Canucks winning their home opener this week. So, anyway, Pastor Mike wasn't too happy about that, I don't think, as an Oilers fan. Uh, I want to give you guys just a, a little bit of update about me, because I get to hear about you through the online message and Pastor Mike and talking to some of the staff. Um, and so I feel like I'm caught up a little bit with what's going on here at Southside, but some of you don't know me, and some of you are always wondering what's going on in my life, and so I wanna tell you a little bit about what's been happening. This summer was a big summer for us. My son Gabe and his wife Kelsey had their very first baby, and her name is Kiera Isabella, yeah. <laughs> She's actually on her first missions trip there in the mountains of Colorado. Uh, they took some ladies that were um, in this anti-human trafficking ministry up to a dude ranch to spend some time with them. And uh, I guess she fell asleep on the job there, huh? Um, Then uh, last time I was here, I think I told you guys about my daughter and my son-in-law. They're uh, fostering kids. So they have two foster kids, three biological kids. They have uh, an eight-year-old, two five-year-olds, and two two two-year-olds. So You think about what it's like to get up and go to church on Sunday, like to get them dressed, get them fed, get them out the door, get them checked into children's ministry. Um, I'm surprised they don't fall asleep in the seats where you guys are, but you moms and dad who have lots of kids know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, In the family, every one of those girls has a different personality, kind of a different role to play. And one of them is our cut up, our jokester. And so we're at a wedding and we're trying to get her to take a picture. And this is what she ended up doing. Her name's Selah. Yeah, she just loves attention. She loves to make people laugh, and so, yeah, she brings a lot of levity to our life. And especially her parents, who have four other girls to take care of, Selah is a lot of fun. Um, My wife is a realtor. Her name is Tara, and uh, realty's been really good for her this year. She's been really blessed by it. And I run a trucking company now. My brother and I own a trucking company, and it's been a little tougher this year. And. The United States, trucking's in a recession. And so, but we've been so blessed to keep all of our drivers busy and working. And, uh, and we've been able to restructure our business a little bit, um, but that has caused me to have to travel a lot this summer. And so between business and babies and vacations, and, uh, and then recently we've had to travel for a few funerals. And uh, I was actually out in Fresno, California, Last week, about this time, for the funeral of my Aunt Mary, and here's a picture of her. Yep, this is my Aunt Mary. She was born in Durango, Mexico, moved to the States, met her husband, has a great family. But Aunt Mary, in April or May, was diagnosed with a stage four uh, glioblastoma brain tumor. And um, she's a lot of fun. Like, you could probably see it by that picture, but everywhere she goes, she's the life of the party, Everybody loves being around her. When she comes into a room, it lightens and brightens up, and uh, she's like, she goes dancing, salsa dancing all the time. She, uh, She was in this women's social club that hung out together. She ran a preschool in the community, so all the high school kids know my Aunt Mary. Like, she's very involved. She goes down to the farmer's market, which is the epicenter of their town, and everybody knows her. And about A year ago, she'd gone in for a full checkup. Everything was good. And then uh, in April or May, she started losing her balance. And she's like, well, something's weird. And so she went to the hospital. Doctor came in and said, hey, it's super strange. I don't know what happened, but unfortunately, we're seeing this massive brain tumor in your brain. It's inoperable. It's untreatable. And it's so aggressive that probably in the next three weeks, you're going to die. And my aunt went from like living life to its fullest, having a little balance issues to all of a sudden, in a moment, life is coming to an end. Now, when we're faced with those type of things in life, we really come to grips quickly with what we think faith is. Like, is there really a God? Like in the midst of terrible things, is there really a God? Does he care about me? Does he see what I'm going through? Would a good God put me through something so difficult and so bad? Does God actually hear my voice? Does he really care about what I'm saying? And does he respond to what is going on in my life? You know, when life is going really well, like when you're passing the test, when you get the promotion, right? When you get to buy a house finally, or you meet that special someone, who uh, gets you, loves you as much as you love them. Everything seems good. In fact, it almost feels like we're kind of in control of life, like everything's going the way we want it to go. And it's really easy to believe that there's a God who's good and we can trust him because it's all good right now. But as soon as something turns bad and gets out of our control, something that we can't fix or respond to, it really forces us to think about what does faith really mean? Faith is really trusting in God and his goodness for us and all the outcomes of life, no matter what happens and when it happens in our life. And it's really hard to come to grips with that definition. So my cousin calls me, she says, hey, my mom's got this tumor. And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to start praying because one of the things that I've learned in my life is that when trouble When impossible things, things I can't control, I can't fix, it's better for me to draw close to God and begin to have a conversation with God about it. It's very similar to the song that we sang today, I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered, is I want to go to God and I want to seek him out. And I know that he's listening to me, but I don't know exactly what his answer is going to be yet. And so I started praying this for my aunt. I said, God, would you please reveal yourself to my aunt every day? Let her know that you're present and that you're close by. God, would you show your goodness to my aunt by giving her strength and comfort and peace in the days ahead? God, would you show uh, the goodness of you to other people through my aunt's experience? Would other people know that you're a good God even though my aunt is going through something terrible? And then I said, say, God, like I do, I really do believe that you're the God of all good things. Everything that's good comes from you, God. And at the end of the day, I trust you with the outcomes. That's a really hard statement to make. And at the end of our prayer, that I trust you, God, with the outcomes because we want our own outcomes. But so I started praying that prayer. I prayed it for day one and day two and day three and day four, and it turned into a week and two weeks and three weeks and into a month and two months and three months, four months. And then in month five, my Aunt Mary went home to be with the Lord. And sure, I would have loved for her to go six months. I would have loved for her to go a year. I would love for her to go five years. A miracle to me looked completely healed of cancer. But just because the miracle didn't happen the way that I wanted it to happen... The, the, the outcome that didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen doesn't mean that God didn't show up and respond and that God wasn't good to my Aunt Mary. I mean, let's be honest. It's really common that a person uh, with uh, uh, three weeks to live that would exceed the doctor's expectation of their survival rate by over seven times. I mean, it's really common with a person with an inoperable brain tumor would be able to eat and sleep perfectly fine for the rest of her life It's common that she would keep her memory and remember all of her family members' names for the rest of her life. I mean, it's really common that a person with a stage four brain tumor who was supposed to die in three weeks would have a full quality of life all the way to the end of her life, to her very last breath. It's really common, right? None of that's common. Nobody can explain it. You see, when things turn impossible inside of our life, the God of possible shows up and does something extraordinary And just because the miracle didn't look the way that I wanted it to look didn't mean that God didn't show up in my aunt's life and show his goodness and kindness to her and to all of her family and the people around her. You see, I think that's a challenge with our faith sometimes that we expect or we're looking for or wanting or praying for God to work in a certain way. And when it doesn't happen the way that we want it to happen, we're not sure if God Really showed up. And it reminds me of this principle called inattentional blindness. You guys might know about that. If you're in school, if you studied psychology, you might have read about this idea of inattentional blindness. But it's this idea that our brain plays a trick on us and that we see something in front of us. It, we see something in front of us, and then our brain also hides something else that's happening in front of us at the same time because. Our brains focused on one thing, not necessarily on other things that are happening. So they tested this experiment, it was uh, 20 years ago-ish, and uh, what they did is they got two sets of basketball players, one dressed in white jerseys, one dressed in black jerseys, and they gave the white team a basketball and they got a group of observers and they said, hey, you guys, we want you to count how many times the white jersey team makes passes, how many times they complete a pass. So they start the exercise. All the players are moving in and out of each other. The white team's making passes. The black team's just moving around. And they stop the exercise, and they look at the group, and they say, hey, how many passes were completed by the white jersey team? And uh, some people nailed it. They gave the exact number right away. There were other people that were off in different directions. But what they found out is that wasn't the point of the test, the experiment. What they actually asked people after that was, uh, what, what different thing did you see happen during the basketball passing drill? And they're like, no, nobody really knew. Very few people ver- noticed anything at all. But what had happened is the testers had sent a gorilla mascot, a guy dressed up in a gorilla suit, walked right into the middle of the passing drill, stood there, beat his chest, waved his arms all around, but everybody was focused on counting the completed passes that they missed something else that was right in front of them. And so what we're not focused on, we're not able to see. And attentional blindness is what we're not focused on, we're not able to see. And I think that's, that can be a real challenge in our life of trying to, trying to, we're focused on our circumstances, like what's happening in our life. We're kind of focused on the outcomes that we think should happen in life. And then we miss that God the gorilla actually shows up. In the middle of all of our circumstances, he's beating his chest. He's saying, hey, don't look at the circumstances. Don't worry about all those things that are happening in your life. Don't even worry about how you want the outcomes to be. Just keep your eyes focused on me and I'll walk you through those circumstances. And so as a church, we've been studying in the book of John for a while now, We're, we come to John chapter 19, and in this season, I think this is exactly, this idea is exactly happening with the Jews. The Jews have been expecting a Messiah, a Savior, to show up on the scene. They're looking for a Savior, and for them, they've been under the oppression of the Roman government. The Romans have been brutally assertive, aggressive. They forced them to be under the control. Everything that the Jewish people do is for the benefit of the Roman government. And so they're like, the, our savior, the person who's coming to save us has to defeat the Roman government. That's what it's gotta look like. We don't wanna be oppressed. We don't wanna be bossed around. We don't wanna be ruled anymore by anybody else. And so if somebody's gonna come save us, it has to be somebody who's gonna mount an army and go destroy the Romans so that we can be the rulers again. Well, Jesus, the Messiah, he shows up on the scene and. He, he's not trying to get an army together. He's try, not trying to mount a resurre- insurrection or anything like that. Jesus begins to show the character of God to the people and he performs these signs. We've, we've talked about them for a little while now. Jesus in performing miracles is actually giving a sign to everybody saying, this is who the character of God is. This is what God looks like in your presence here on earth. And so Jesus shows us that he's the God of provision. He he cares about what we want what we have and he doesn't want us to run out. He cares about our physical needs. He healed a blind man. He wants us to see. Like, it's an interesting thing that Jesus, the gorilla, could be pounding his chest and be right in the midst of us, but one of the miracles he does is for a blind man to open his eyes, and the analogy of opening your eyes and seeing is that we open our spiritual eyes and see that Jesus is standing in the midst of us. Jesus cares about storms. He's out on the sea, and there's a storm that comes up, and Peter gets out to walk on the water, and he isn't worried about the circumstances at first because he sees Jesus, but when the circumstances become overwhelming to him, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink and Jesus rescues him. Jesus is saying to us, giving us a sign that he cares not only about our physical storms in life, our physical circumstances, but he also cares about our spiritual circumstances and life. And so the religious leaders of the day are looking at Jesus and they're like, okay, he's saying that he's the son of God, one, that's blasphemous. Like he shouldn't be saying that because he's not a king, he's not a Messiah. He's not gonna change any of our circumstances here on earth. He can't overthrow the Roman government. And plus we're getting a little put off by the idea that people kind of like this guy. So they decide to take Jesus, arrest him, march him in front of Pilate, the Roman governor. And so if they get him in front of Pilate and say, hey, Pilate, this guy calls himself a king, Pilate can't have that. Like Pilate's leadership is I'm in charge, I'm the boss, nobody's rising up against the Roman Empire, we're in control here. And so the religious leaders march Jesus in in front of Pilate and say, hey, this guy uh, says he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, oh, we're gonna have a trial. We're gonna figure this thing out. And so he begins his interrogation. And uh, easy question, number one, Jesus Who are you? Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus responds and goes, that's who you say I am. And so then the religious leaders jump in and they start asking all kinds of questions and they're trying to push Jesus's buttons. They're trying to get him to lash back out and to be mad and angry and to try and prove them wrong that when he slips up and makes a mistake, then Pilate will see that, hey, this guy's a problem and we need to get rid of him. But Jesus doesn't respond to anybody. And so Pilate gets to the end of the interrogation and goes, hey, I think this guy's innocent. I I don't think he's done anything wrong. And the religious leaders are like, no, no, he's bad. We gotta take care of him. We gotta do something about it. And it says that Pilate became fearful of how the crowd begins to respond and out of fear, he drags Jesus back inside and says, okay, like this guy is not very kingly looking. He's pretty mild looking. He's not not fighting back. He's not uh, resisting any of our questions. Like he's, he's pretty meek actually. And so what Pilate says is I'm gonna drag him to the back with some of our soldiers and we're gonna beat and torture him make fun of him. They actually made a crown because he's a king, right? They made a crown out of thorns and they put it on Jesus' head and they push it down. And so here's Jesus who's been beat up, never resisted. He's been smacked around, spat on, made fun of and they pushed a crown of thorns into his head so blood's pouring down him and they march him back out in front of the people that drug him before Pilate and Pilate goes, hey, there he is. You're king. King of the Jews, right? And Pilate's trying to manage by embarrassment here, really? Like, really, you're gonna send this guy to me as king of the Jews? He can't even defend himself against a couple of soldiers. He's not kingly at all. And the people said, crucify him. Like, we wanna get rid of him. And Pilate's like, what? He's innocent, like, he's no king. So he drags Jesus back in. He's like, Jesus, okay, listen, man. Like, you gotta tell me. You gotta level with me right now. Who are you? Because like, don't you understand that I right now hold the keys of life versus death in my hands? And Jesus looks at Pilate and says that even your power comes from above, Pilate. And it says from that point forward, Pilate tried to prove that Jesus was innocent. He tried to get him off the hook. He tried to go back out to the people and get him off, but they would have nothing to do it. And so eventually they send Jesus to the cross and as we look at Pilate's leadership, it's an interesting one. It's, it's aggressive, it's assertive, it's in control. It's a positional level of leadership. We, we've experienced that from people in our life, maybe bosses or coaches, uh, teachers in our life. At certain times, they're like, I'm in charge, do what I say, do it the way I want. But oftentimes, people who are in that type of leadership role, the only thing that they get is a benefit in return for themselves. They don't care what happens to other people. They don't care... Uh, what happens to you, they only care about their power and authority. And so it reminds me of this story of a rancher down in Texas. He was out on his ranch one day and this guy pulls up in a truck and he walks over and says, hey, I'm with the Drug Enforcement Agency. And the rancher's like, oh, that's, that's good, I guess. And he said, yeah, we're looking for drugs and I need to inspect your ranch. And the rancher said, that's fine. You can inspect my ranch. He said, I just don't go into this field over here. And the DE agent looks at the rancher and he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out his badge and he says, you see this badge right here? And the rancher said, yes, sir. And he goes, that badge says, I have all authority. I'm in charge. I can go anywhere I wanna go. You can't tell me not to go into that field. And the rancher said, yes, sir, I see that badge. And he said, I I know that you have authority, but I would just recommend you don't go in that field. And he said, this badge says I can go anywhere I want and I will go anywhere I want. And the rancher said, okay, go ahead. And so he goes about, the rancher goes about his work. The DE agent's um, walking around the farm. And then pretty soon the rancher hears the DE agent screaming and yelling. And it's from the field that he told him not to go into. And so as the rancher looks over at the field, he sees the DE agent in a full sprint through the field running as hard as he can saying, save me, save me. And as the rancher looks behind the DE agent, there's a giant bull and the bull's gaining on the DE agent very fast. Every step, he's gaining ground on the DE agent. So the rancher runs over to the fence as fast as he can. As the DE agent runs by, the rancher leans out and says, show him your badge, show him your badge, you're in charge. But that's how sometimes we think of power and authority. It's a positional role, it's strength and power and you contrast that with Jesus's leadership in this moment, and we see something called meekness. And it's an interesting word, isn't it, meekness. I asked someone the other day, I was like, hey, tell me what you think about meekness, and he was standing here like this, and he goes. And I was like, yeah, right, timid, shy, unassertive, right? We don't think of meek people as winners. In fact, if you look in the dictionary, they actually have weakness with meekness. But Jesus, shortly before he comes to trial with Pilate, he's preaching to a group of people and saying, hey, this upside down world of living in God's world, the way that we live with the power of God in our life is much different than the way you live today. And meekness is actually strength. And when he says this, the word that he actually is using is a word that's called praeus. And it's, it's this idea in Greek of a broken stallion a stallion that's been bridled, a bit's been put in its mouth and it's under control of something else. Well, I live in North Carolina and there's a place called the Outer Banks. And uh, on the ocean, there's all these wild stallions that run. It's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. They're strong, they're powerful. They roam wherever they want to. They do anything that they want to. And it's just an amazing picture of beauty to look at. But the interesting thing is that that power is wild and free. It's not really being used for anything. And so when somebody takes a bridle and puts it into the horse's mouth and gains control of that power, the horse doesn't lose its power. It actually gains its usefulness. The stallion has great strength, but when brought under control, uh, has great usefulness now. And so Jesus, as he's standing in front of Pilate, he's not fighting Pilate. He doesn't have to prove that Pilate's wrong. He doesn't have to prove all the leaders are wrong to prove that he's right, to know that he's right. And what Jesus is doing in an act of meekness is standing in front of all of humanity and saying, I believe that God is in control of all the outcomes. I'm giving my strength and power under control of God to use me for something greater than the moment, the circumstance that I face right now by being beaten, spat on, and made fun of. It's a challenging thing to think about. Meekness is strength under control. It's a very different style of leadership. In my life, Um, I've had one spot that I can really think of where I feel like I leveraged meekness, where I really understood that God's in control of my situation, and that whatever was going to happen, I was going to let God decide the outcomes and not try to prove other people wrong. And that if I could really trust in God for all those outcomes, that he would use it for a greater purpose, I had worked at several different churches. I was at a pretty large church. We grew it from 1,200 to 6,000 people. A Lot of amazing things had happened at this church. I'd been there for a while, been with that pastor, the senior pastor for a bit, and we got to be really good friends. But one day he called me into his office and something seemed off. I was like, what's what's going on? And he was like, hey, I think I'm gonna make a change. And I said, a change with what? And he said, "Uh, basically you. (laughs) And I'm like, oh wait, I'm getting fired today? And he was like, yeah. And I said, what did I do wrong? And he said, nothing. And I was like, what do you mean nothing? Then why am I going? And he said, I just want to do some things differently than I've done them in the past. I want to mix it up a little bit, change things around. And I was like, oh, like, it just doesn't seem fair. Like, why, why do I have to be fired just because you want to change things around? And immediately all the flaws in his leadership came to my mind. Like, he's not, he's not good at being organized. He's not good at strategy. Like, I started listing off all these things in my mind, but I kept feeling God say, let me have control. Like, I'm in charge of all the outcomes. You don't have to prove him wrong to be right. And so over the next few days, it was a really challenge for me because for years and years, I had done all the hiring and firing of staff. I'd done all the announcements. I'd done all the transitions and strategy and nobody knew what to do. And so I ended up making the announcement about my departure. <laughs> That's a hard thing, right? It doesn't seem fair. But while I was doing it, I felt like God kept pulling me closer and closer to him saying, I've, I've got the reins. It's gonna be good. We're gonna leverage your strength and power in this moment by being meek to have a far greater usefulness in life than just this circumstance. And so over the years, it's been amazing how God has used that moment in my ministry. Like it's set up the people, it set up him for, uh, to continue to lead people because there are a lot of people that uh, love him and follow him, I love him still. It it set up his staff to stay focused on reaching people in their community. It kept the church whole and kept them moving. But I could have stood up and proved everybody wrong. I could have made a big stir. I could have caused a ruckus. It would have been for anybody's, it would have been for anybody's benefit but my own just to prove that I'm right but instead I allow God to move. And not only did he keep the church intact and keep it growing, but he moved me to another church that allowed that church to continue to grow. And now he's used a ministry in my life to care for people who find themselves in difficult circumstances and they're not sure what to do. And my message to them is you gotta trust God. Like he's in control of all the outcomes, even if it doesn't look the way we think it should or happen when we think it should. And so it's really easy to look at other people's situations and say that, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's easy to look at my Aunt Mary. I mean, I love her and I love her family, but it's my Aunt Mary, it's not me. <laughs> And it's easy to look at a friend and say, hey, you gotta trust God and, you know, with control of all the outcomes. He's a good God, he, he loves you. And then sometimes we go through those experiences like I went through at this church and I'm like, oh yeah, God's good. He's good all the time. He's in control of all the outcomes. I trust him, but I've gone through the journey with God and I'm at the end of the story. Now I'm back in the season where everything is good, right? Like we all just went through a pandemic, a global shutdown. We had all kinds of challenges and issues. Things felt kind of terrible, bad, and impossible at certain times. And all of a sudden now, in a lot of ways, things are going really good. Maybe your job's great, the economy's good. In my world, my trucking business was so much better than it's ever been before. My wife is killing it in real estate. We got grandkids everywhere. It seems really, really, really good until all of a sudden it's not. And so when I started with this message, I thought, man, I'm, when I look at this passage of John, I'm just gonna use this whole Pilate and Jesus interaction where Jesus, or Pilate says, I have the keys of life over death because I'm like, joke's on you, Pilate, because Jesus is getting ready to do something that proves to everybody that he owns the keys to life over death. I thought it'd be really funny, trial of a lifetime. I have a really funny trial story. But then God has been speaking to me to say, hey, it's about something different. That we've gotta be challenged to live meek lives. If we're gonna live in the kingdom of God and trust in God's control and power, we've gotta be challenged to live meek lives because it, it says that to everybody around us that we don't have to prove that we're right. We don't have to prove other people wrong to prove that we're right. That God is in control of all the outcomes and that he's a good God. And so back in February, uh, I thought everything's going good. I was up at the gym working out, I came home, I looked at my wife and I said, something doesn't feel right today. And she was like, what do you mean? And I said, I feel really shaky. And uh, she's like, too much coffee, cut out Starbucks, no Tim Hortons, you know, you can't have coffee anymore. And I'm like, okay. And um, it went on for a couple more weeks and I was like, something's not right. And so I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it really easy to pray for other people. I have a really hard time praying for myself. And so, but I started going to God and that prayer that I had for Aunt Mary, it wasn't just Aunt Mary's prayer, it was my prayer. I was like, God, I, I need you to reveal yourself to me today because something's really off. I need to know that you're close and you're present. I need to see the gorilla and not my circumstance. And God would you show your goodness to me today by giving me peace and strength in these moments while I try and figure out what's going on? And God, would you help other people experience your goodness through my life, through my terrible circumstances? And God, I'm gonna say it out loud because I wanna repeat it again and again. I've seen it before, but I wanna see it again. I wanna know that it's true today, so I'm gonna say it's true the everything good comes from you, Father. Everything good comes from you. And I trust you with all the outcomes in my life. That is my prayer every day since February. Day after day after day. And so in April, I'm feeling worse. And I go to my wife and I said, Hey, it's not uh, I don't think this is good. And I'm like, everything on the internet is bad. You guys know. Don't WebMD, whatever, don't, don't look it up. But it's like All my symptoms were pointing towards like ALS or uh, MS or Parkinson's. And I was like, ah, like I'm 53. I've got all these grandkids. I got all these dreams that I want to do. And I'm like, this is the outcome of life that I really want to see. And so my wife's like, hey, it's too, you need to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor ran some blood test, and he said, hey, everything looks great. Like, I don't, I don't see any real major issues. And I said, doc, I'm telling you, like, I've been through cancer multiple times. Something's not right in my body. And he said, okay. He said, let's schedule an appointment with the neurologist. And he said, let's get some testing done just to make sure that everything is okay. And so I said, great. And so we picked up the phone, and we called neurology, and they said, it'll be October before you can get into neurology. And I was like, October, like that's like six months. I said, in six months, some ALS patients are dead. If that's what I have, I guess I'll just figure it out by October, whether I'm here or not. And so I thought finding an answer from a doctor might be helpful, but what happened is it delayed and I had to lean deeper into my relationship and trust with God. I sought the Lord every day. I sought the Lord, he heard and he answered I, that was my worship song. We'd go to church and we would sing that song and the worship leader would be like, let's raise our hands to worship God because worship, worship, our praise is our weapon to, to the enemy. Like when we worship God, it becomes weaponized to go against any enemy, any illness that we have. And I'm like, God, you're asking me to raise the very hands that I think are broken. Like my arms, my shoulders, my nervous system, my... Like, I can't raise my hands. And that song would go over and over and over again. I sought the Lord, he heard and he answered. And I'm like, he's done it before. I pray every day for him to reveal himself to me. And I'm like, I have to make a decision. What does my faith really look like? Do I trust God with every outcome of my life, regardless of how it happens and when it happens? And so I would raise my hands And it was an overwhelming amount of peace that came over my life. I felt God's strength. I felt his comfort. I feel like God says, hey, even if the outcome doesn't look exactly the way you want it to, it's gonna be good. I'm working all things together for good. And so I don't know if you find yourself at Southside today in a place where it's really hard to trust in God. Like, has a circumstance landed on you where it's terrible and impossible and really bad? And you are looking for an answer and a response to happen a specific way, but you haven't opened your hands and let go control and said, God, bridle the strength and power inside of me, use me for something greater. And I trust that whatever that looks like, that you're in control of all those outcomes. I also really believe, God, that you're a good God. You've demonstrated it time after time. He stood in front of all the Jews and he did all these miraculous signs just to demonstrate his character and his goodness to him that he sees everything, physical, spiritual, that we're going through. And he wants us, he wants to help us in the physical for sure. But that spiritual piece is a real battle and challenge. And so I just wanna take a minute, if you, you would bow your head and close your eyes and just for a minute, just think about your circumstances today. Maybe you've been through that season and everything feels good right now, and that's amazing. Maybe there's a spot here where you can just say, God, I continue to believe in your goodness and trust in you. But I really do believe there are a lot of us here today that are experiencing something bad and terrible something that feels impossible and out of our control. And we want it to be fixed a certain way. And we're asking God, God, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. But we're missing what God really wants to do because we're so focused on the circumstance itself. And so if you're in a place where you feel things are out of control and you really need to lean in and trust in God, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand, yeah, nice and high, that's awesome. It was so hard for me to raise my hands to God and just surrender that, but that's what you're doing right now, just a just little hand raise to say, I'm surrendering control to you, God, great. You can go ahead and put your hands down. I just wanna pray, God, um, this prayer that uh, my pastor at our church has been praying for a while for us now has been so powerful to me And so for those who raised their hands and for those that didn't but still are going through something, God, would they just do this simple exercise with me and lean into you for a moment? Would you guys just take a really deep breath in and as you do say, Holy Spirit, I breathe you in. Your strength comes suddenly. Your peace fills me completely. And then let it out. Let the breath out. Take another deep breath. Holy Spirit, I breathe you in. Your strength comes suddenly. Your peace fills me completely. Let it out. Let that breath out. One more time. Holy Spirit, I breathe you in. Nice deep breath. Your strength comes suddenly and your peace fills me completely. God, my prayer for our church and our community is that they would breathe you in that they would feel the strength of the almighty God who loves and cares for them. And Lord, when they give control of whatever the circumstances are and they fix their eyes to you, God, that they'll have the peace that washes over them to know that all the outcomes are gonna be good. And even though it doesn't feel good right now, that means you're still working and it's going to be good soon. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you today. I pray for all of our friends that are here watching online, Lord, that you would just continue to be with them in their circumstances and that they would feel your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, great, Southside. Thank you. It's so good being with you guys. Um, Hey, I love you. I know the staff loves you. The church all loves you. So come back next week. Pastor Mike's gonna be here live on stage and you're gonna continue in John, all right?